Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so happy to have Diana here all the way from Italy. How are you, Diana? I'm fine. Thank you. And I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, I guess I already gave the first part away, but can you give a quick introduction, like where you're from and where you live and what is your relationship to arthritis? Okay. Well, I'm originally from California, um, but I have been living in Italy now in Northern Italy for the last 22 years. So I feel like this is my home now, you know, in the, at this phase of my life. My relationship to rheumatoid arthritis, well, um, at the beginning, it was really an unwanted visitor, I would say. <laughs> and um, I, I came, I, I became, um, well, RA, it just came along. Now it has come along for the ride. I've accepted it and it's with me <laughs> and it's no longer an intruder in my life. Mm, I um, love that. That's like a process. A lot of people go through at first, you're trying to get rid of it and make it go away and minimize it. And then there's this beauty to when you can say, this is here and I could keep, keep moving even with it. Um, but I know it's a, it's a journey. So like, yeah, I'm curious, yes. you know, about your diagnosis story. How did you get <clears throat> diagnosed and, and what was that like? Well, I got diagnosed right around my 60th birthday. And so that it was really disappointing. <laughs> um, and when I, I was so worried about getting this diagnosis, I kept like hoping it was osteo, you know, it was regular arthritis and not rheumatoid arthritis. Um, but when I got, when it was confirmed, I was quite um, upset. And I was, had like a range from feeling angry 
um, because I was like, I did not sign up for this, you know, (laughs) and I I was born with a missing hand. So um, I felt like, oh, I've already given, you know, (laughs) I've already um, worked so hard in my life to overcome the obstacles of living with one hand and, you know, being a super duper performer. And I felt like I'd worked really hard and and now how am I going to deal with this, you know? But mostly um, <clears throat> I was worried and afraid. Um, and I was afraid about how um, it would impact my hand. Um, and in fact, that's all I focused on was my hand. Um, and I didn't even think it, I didn't even care if it went somewhere else. In fact, I was like, oh, go to my knees or go to my feet. You know, mm. I just want my hand. You know, I don't, um, I didn't want anything to happen to it. So understandable because you've already had to work so hard, like you said, over your life to accommodate having one hand. So you have your ways of doing your daily activities and mm. this is hugely interfering you know, with that. So I can, I completely understand. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Like a lot of people, um, obviously the majority of people are born with two hands. So they, you know, you (laughs) don't even realize how much the loss of one hand is, is difficult, much less than if you only have one to begin with. So anyway, I'm just pointing out the obvious, but, um, but, you know, yeah, I, I think it's a really common experience to kind of hyper-focus on one aspect of it, you mm, know, and yeah. like, I didn't even know about the fatigue or I didn't really process the immune autoimmune nature of it at all for years. I just focused on, yeah. oh, can I play soccer and can I do my sports? Cause that was a big part of my life, you know, when mm. I got diagnosed. So it's, it's interesting. It's very similar to a lot of people kind of like choosing one thing or can I work, you know? But, um, but sorry, back to the, back to the emotional part, because yeah, I think you've already, something's already been taken from you, you know, from birth, your hand. And so now you're like, okay, I have one hand left. Now you're taking that function from me and you're adding pain. And why, why is this happening to me? Yeah. I mean, that was my fear, you know, that Mm -hmm. I would just, um, you know, that I would have some, you know, deformed hand and Mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, you were diagnosed while living in Italy, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious, um, you know, with the medical system there versus the United States, um, where I'm from, was there, did, did you, uh, or can you describe a little bit, like what the process was like after you got diagnosed, like, did you have to wait a long time to get follow-up appointments or did you get, you know, were there barriers to getting medications? How did that part work? Okay, so when I first got di- <laughs> when I first got diagnosed, um, it was well. Let me just back up a second. Um, yes. To the um, you go to like your primary care doctor, and I went to her with the pain and everything, and and I had thought maybe I had tendonitis because I had it a long time ago. So she did a blood test right away, and the rheumatoid factor was super high. So she sent me right away to a rheumatologist and you don't, the rheumatologists are in the hospital 
so you don't go to like a private office or anything and you go to um, the rheumatologist in the hospital. And so I got in right away because she put a special marking on the prescription saying urgent, you know. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, when I went there, they diagnosed me immediately. They, they were very thorough. They did, um, what do you call that, echo thinking of it in Italian, um, ultrasound, ultrasound. Yeah. Yeah, Or whatever that is that they can see the fluid and stuff. Um, yeah. Was it like a little wand on your hand? Yeah. Yeah. So they did that. And, um, and this, it was a woman doctor and she was very matter of fact. And she wrote like a, her report was like a page. You have rheumatoid arthritis. And I was like, that's it. You know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and she, prescribed what I needed and all that. And then when you leave that appointment, the uh, secretary sets you up for the follow-up appointment right away. So you're in the system and you just, Mm -hmm. um, that's how it works. Um, And you don't pay for it. Um, And once, if you have a um, diagnosis like rheumatoid arthritis, and there's a whole list of them you're exempt from paying anything um Mm. like not you don't because sometimes you have to pay for blood tests and things like that but if it's associated with one of these exempt diseases you don't pay for anything so i don't pay for x-rays i don't pay for medicine i don't pay for blood tests Mm. i'm Um, i'm hearing people right now writing down notes to self move to Italy. (laughs) Yeah, that's no, I mean, that's, that's great. That's really, that's really good. And I know when people first get on a treatment or their doctor recommends a treatment plan, there's usually a period of like hesitation. Like, do I really need to take these medicines or what about the side effects? What was, what was your kind of journey? Like, (laughs) sorry, I'm laughing at the word journey because the other day, someone posted on social media stop making everything a journey journey sometimes yeah. things are just <laughs> stuff that's happening but I'm like I like the word journey I don't know so um yeah what was what was your experience like yeah. uh, okay. with the treatment side of things well I resisted it I, I was like I am not taking methotrexate methotrexate was what they uh proposed and I just thought I could deal with this myself. I thought I could, um, I took homeopathic medicine. I tried diet. Um, I thought I could control this, you know? And then I thought I'm gonna get a second opinion. And so I went to this other doctor privately. So that's the other thing with the health system. If you want to see somebody privately, you can do it and you pay. Uh, Was the other doctor a rheumatologist? Yes, he was a rheumatologist, but he was like, had one foot in retirement and one foot Mm. um, in his practice. So Mm -hmm. he was very old school. And so um, anyway, he diagnosed me with rheumatoid arthritis as well and prescribed methotrexate. So I, I took it. I was very, very hesitant and terrified, you know, what kind of result, what kind of side effects I was going to have. Um, but the thing that he did, which 
now that I look back, I wasn't very happy with, or I, I, I wouldn't have settled for it back then, is that he put me on cortisone for a year, which the other doctors, you know, at the hospital did not do that. And, and so I had, excuse me, I'm just going to. No worries. Hydrate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took the cortisone and I took the methotrexate and I felt great, you know, mm-hmm. while I was on it because it was because of the cortisone, mm. you know, and the minute that the cortisone tapered off and I stopped the cortisone, I started getting, you know, swelling again and, uh, symptoms came back mm-hmm. and he, And so he, um, you know, he wanted to up the methotrexate and all that. And I just changed up. I said, I can't deal with this guy because he didn't listen to me. That was the other thing. Mm, You know, the mm -hmm. the first doctor I had, she was younger and she listened, but I was not prepared for the diagnosis, Mm -hmm. you know? That's really so, common. That's really common. And second opinions are always, are often valuable, especially if they confirm the first opinion, right? Because then you can yeah. have that a little more certainty. Um, although we're going to talk about uncertainty later <laughs> as being the default stance of life, but, um, yeah. you know, it's certainly something that, you know, I have done myself and encourage others to do if you're unsure about your diagnosis and they can also confirm, you know, that yes, methotrexate is the gold standard, you know, for a reason, many patients do really well on it. If you go on social media, you will see tons of, you know, quote unquote horror stories about it. And those, the negative experiences are real, but we have to remember that the, all the people having positive experiences are usually not sharing them, you know, it's right, like you go, yeah. and you go to a restaurant or it's kind of good. It's good. Not, not amazing. Maybe you have like one or one side effect or occasionally, but it's overall working for your disease. You're not going to take the time to be like, you know, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm at the check site. So like, yeah, I've been taking methotrexate for 19 years. I feel like I'm like, wow. people must be mm-hmm. thinking at this point, cause I talk about it so often. She must be getting kickbacks from methotrexate, but I swear <laughs> I'm not. I'm just, um, pointing again, pointing out, yes, many people have you know, either fatigue or nausea, but it is a very instrumental medicine for most people for controlling the disease long-term or similar. If they can't tolerate methotrexate, their body just is, has too big of a reaction, which is totally fine. You can, you know, there's other options too. Yes. Eventually I, my body did have a reaction to it in the, yeah. In the last couple of years, my liver values went really high. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had lots of nausea. And so Mm. by that time I had switched, I'd gone back to the team at the hospital and had a doctor there. And so he, um, oh, wait a minute. No, there was another doctor before that at a different hospital. (laughs) But And she put me on Plaquenil Mm -hmm. and methotrexate and that didn't do anything Plaquenil just did not do anything because she was trying to lower the methotrexate yeah because of the liver values and stuff and that's common exactly common to add Plaquenil or sulfasalazine or uh yeah those are you know those are really common steps to to be taken so but it's definitely that trial and error period is so rough I think to not be changing things or changing things. And you're like, Oh, is this going to work? Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's kind of like now, so now I have, um, I had a really bad year last year with, and I ended up being on cortisone off and on cortisone for quite a bit. Um, and so they decided it was time for the biologic for mm -hmm. me. Bring in the big guns, <laughs> bring, bring it in. Yeah. Bring it on. And I'm so happy with it. And they, so I have, I've been on it now for seven months, I think. And, mm -hmm. um, it's wonderful. I mean, I still have methotrexate, but I have, um, a lower dose. Mm -hmm. And so I feel I have energy. Um, oh, I'm, so good. Yeah, and much less pain. I have, uh, and I can close my hand all the way where before I was having trouble mm. doing that. That's wonderful. Yeah. But at the moment, I'm getting some swelling. And mm. I don't know if that's the weather change. I can't figure it out, you know, but, but that's yeah. the thing about this disease. Um, yeah, there's always something around the corner, you know, um, but I do realize now, which I didn't realize at the beginning is that, okay, maybe this biologic will work for a year or two, and maybe mm -hmm. I'll have to get another one, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry if I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, how long into your diagnosis did you join the room to thrive group? Was it pretty soon after or no? No. No. Oh, okay. It was, no, it was later. I tried to hook up with an organization here, an association. Mm -hmm. And it's like, um, it's, you know, you're just light years ahead of the, oh. in terms of oh, thank you. <laughs> what you're, yeah, no, what you're doing and the approach and everything. And um, I mean, they're trying, but it's just not as informative um or as patient or driven you know mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so and plus it was all in italian and i do obviously i speak italian you know fairly well but when you have emotions and things i think you have to be in your own language um mm. for me anyway i just um yeah. Get get blocked talking about it in another language. That's really that's really fascinating and I think maybe there is a different style in the like that you grew up with. Not that it's better or worse, it's just the way of talking about emotions that we grow up with culturally might mm -hmm. be different. And um but yeah, I remember, you know, I think I I wonder if in the group I remember talking about many many people, you know, in our room to thrive group had the same exact fears and concerns about methotrexate and biologics. And was it helpful to kind of talk through it with, with others or realize, like, I guess I'm putting words in your mouth, but um, it seemed like it was helpful for people to see like, okay. Oh my God. Yeah, it's a yeah. lifeline because nobody tells you about the uncertainty of all this, uh, at least here, no one addressed the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Um, or the fear, you know, um, mm. so it, it was a lifeline. In fact, how I found you was I was searching online. There's, I'm thinking America has to have something, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> and I saw one of your things on Instagram. I think it was on Instagram. Yeah. And 
you were doing one of those videos where you woke up in the morning and you just were looking at your hand and you were opening and closing. I said, that's me. You know, I do that every morning. You know, I'm like, is it okay? You know, yeah. I mean, not now I don't do it now every morning, but you know, and, and that's, I was like, I have to know this group, this person, um, because you were doing the same thing that I was doing, you know, mm-hmm. we all want to feel seen like, and we want to feel like we're not, you know, the only one that's experiencing something. Yeah. Um, ha- just have it normalized in some way, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately for better or worse, a lot of like medical style education, um, mm-hmm. like educational materials are very dry and sterile and not fun at all, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm preparing right now to give a talk at the American college of rheumatology and association of rheumatology professionals conference in November, which is called convergence. And anyway, the talk was about, you know, the, the positive impacts of social media, um, and, and some of the negatives, you know, how do we harness the positive and then, uh, minimize the negatives? Cause of course there's negative things on social yeah. media too, cause it's people, <laughs> people are both the wonderful and horrible sometimes, but, but yeah, seeing like, okay, here's like, you're, you know, here's what life could look like for you. And it doesn't have to be this sterile, boring thing. Like most people want to live like some sort of vibrant existence, you know, and it may not look like me. It may not look like dancing and being like super, you know, like not everyone's (laughs) extroverted and that's good. We don't want Mm -hmm. everyone to be the same, you know, but um, anyway, sorry, it's wonderful to to hear that because I never know, you know, it's definitely really interesting to see like which things resonate with people and which Mm -hmm. don't. Yeah, but just getting, I mean, just having that connection, that visual connection just touched something for me, you know, Mm. but, um, and then when I took the the class, just the wealth of information, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then just the whole, and really focusing on the fatigue was helpful, because Mm -hmm, I just mm -hmm. didn't understand that that was part of it you know? Yeah. yeah. And I kept thinking, what is wrong with me? You know, where's my energy? And, you know, so I'm a pretty energetic person. And so I just felt like, wow, you know? Oh, totally. I, it's awful. And I almost think that's worse than uh, some of the pain. Oh, yeah. But it's easy to say now I'm not in pain. So <laughs> no, um, I, I, I think that in, in depending on your, the life context, you know, the life context that you're in is constantly changing, right? So if you're having to work full-time and do some energetically, you know, challenging job, then the fatigue could definitely easily be, you know, or for many reasons, you could have a baby at home. You know, there's so many reasons that fatigue can be, you know, worse than the pain. Um, but yeah, no, I'm always curious how people found the group. And, and I think, yeah, it's like, you learn from the group, but also there is, and I know, you know, from, uh, we forgot to say earlier that, or I forgot to ask about your job field, but you are trained as a counselor, right? Right. Mental yes. health professional. Yeah. So there's yeah. this value in, um, in you sharing your story to others, to like a, an audience that is receptive, you know, and that is happy to hear and, and hungry to hear your story too. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah. did you find that? Let me, again, let me be honest. You can be like, actually, <laughs> no, 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 I, didn't I care. definitely <laughs> did. 
No, I definitely okay. did. Absolutely. You know, um, even if I didn't, wasn't taking the same medications or whatever, but just hearing, um, I just felt like I was in a safe place and I felt like, um, I could be myself, mm-hmm. that these people's stories resonated with me, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I did not start it for my own selfish purposes, but I, I have, I have really gained a lot from hearing other people's stories too. It's, you know, even if I could say logically, like it's normal to feel X, Y, Z, but it's another thing. If I hear someone else, even though I'm facilitating the group, if I hear someone else say something, I'm like, yeah, like my main anxiety triggers are like the uncertainty, the gray areas. What am I supposed to do? Am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? You know, when I hear yeah. someone else struggle with that, it's such a relief because I'm like, yeah. yeah, this isn't me failing. This is just life, you know? Yeah. And also the whole thing about how, in, how to explain this condition to other mm. people, you know, mm-hmm. that was really helpful, you know? Yeah. Um, If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now.
And here um, in Italy, you know, eating is a huge thing and food and drinking wine and all that stuff. And so I had to not drink wine on the methotrexate because my liver was suffering already. It was going up and down. So I had to, I couldn't, I mean, they told me I could drink a glass or two a week Mm -hmm. and then it it was, I had to stop that, you know? And so that was really hard for me um, because it's such a social thing here. Like, Oh, let's meet, you know, in the piazza and, you know, have a drink. Yeah, um, I didn't even think about so, that. I mean, I, I I've thought that that's come up a lot in the groups of it being difficult to, um, you know, to not take to not drink alcohol as much. But I I think the cultural aspect is the culture, yeah, so big, yeah, huge. You know, and it's you know, and the taste of it and all that. I mean, here there's so much focus on food and the taste and how it was cooked and how it's prepared and where this grapes come from. And, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's like a whole conversation, you know, that you, in fact, I'll never forget this and (laughs) it's off track. I'm not sure. But when I came here, I started teaching English and I was teaching these little children and the toys that they had in their classroom were all food. You know, there was, I mean, it was crazy. That's they, so adorable. Yes. But I mean, they, I mean, like bell peppers and, you know, just stuff, eggplants and things like that, you know, yeah, yeah. that we probably would not, we would have had like probably apples and maybe tomatoes. You know, right, like right, right. Um, but just to give you an idea how focused, you know, even at a young age, they are on food. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I read that book. Um, this is in French culture, but a, a really great book called Bringing Up Bebe about like French oh, parenting and how they yeah. involve the children in the meal preparation from a young age. And, um, and you know, all children like um, to have some degree of control. You know, they want to be able to, you know, that's why actually feeding and eating issues are such a big, you know, power struggle for a lot of kids. It's because one of the few things you can control fully, even as a child, you know, someone yeah. can't make you swallow. You can't make someone swallow, you know, they have to decide to yeah. do that anyway. But, um, but, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I, I certainly, you know, understand that that is a big social, a big social thing. And then mm-hmm. you're like, okay, do I just get something that, like a non-alcoholic wine? Do they even have that? Or do I just, you mm. know, tell them that I can't for medical reasons or like how, like, did you? Yes. Um, I've gone through the whole gamut. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I can't drink right now. You know, mm-hmm. no explanation. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm not happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'll say, Oh, I have an autoimmune disease and I can't uh, drink right now, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but you know, my friends know, but if you're in another situation, you know, and then, yeah. So I think that could be its own episode. I'm just, I just wrote that down as like <laughs> to remember in the future. Cause that's, it comes up a lot. It's like I was diagnosed at, I always say 20. And then the other day I actually looked at it and I realized it was a month before my 20, it was, I was basically 21. It was okay. my 22nd birthday. I gotten it wrong. Cause I kept, anyway, point being, um, I, it, drinking wasn't a big part of my life anyway, because I always joke, like I'm like a control mm. freak. So I didn't like to drink. I was on the soccer team, but I was always like the sober one 
at parties, yeah. but still like hanging out. But, but for a lot of people, it's a much bigger, you know, deal, a big, bigger transition. But, um, but for today, I want to make sure I go back to that, that perpetual, perpetual <laughs> unsolvable problem of, of uncertainty. And um, first of all, again, I really appreciate you being here to share your perspective and your journey with, I said journey again, <laughs> your <okay>. <laughs> experiences with anxiety, because I, for a long time, even though I've always been really extroverted and not shy about sharing my story of rheumatoid arthritis, it took me a long time to feel comfortable actually publicly talking about anxiety because I felt such a stigma um, oh. for mm. myself, because I feel like this is the story that I kept coming up against in my head is you're privileged. Your life is fine. Like why you shouldn't have anxiety, like boo hoo mm -hmm. for you, okay. little, you know, little rich white girl from the suburbs, like, and that's kind of that harsh self-criticism. Right. But I felt yeah. like, you know, there's people who have real problems out there. Why are so you mine should, doesn't count? Yeah. Mine doesn't count. Yeah. And the only reason I've, I said this multiple times been in the past, but the only reason I eventually went to therapy was for postpartum anxiety and postpartum oh, depression, okay. because there was so much work in the United States, at least on destigmatizing postpartum mental health. And I was like, okay. And in my head again, well, this is normal. A lot of people feel postpartum mood disorders and like it'll just be a short-term thing. It'll be like three yeah. months. Like I'm an A student. I'm going to ACE therapy, you know, so <laughs> that's my whole, right. but anyway, so then I, and then I was kind of like, didn't want to talk about it. And then I finally, like once, once I opened the Pandora box of talking about it, I'm like, yeah, like word vomit all the time. But for you, Diana, my guest today, yes, to <laughs> <laughs> focus on you. Um, what has anxiety looked like for you in, with regards to coping with rheumatoid arthritis and just whatever you want to say about anxiety. <laughs> yes. Well, anxiety, um, is a powerful thing. Um, it's very powerful. Um, and so apart from having this, I think I've always had anxiety, you know, I've been prone to anxiety, um, just because of my, conditions of growing up and I, and my father uh, was a Korean war veteran suffering from PTSD. And so, oh, wow. I'm um, and so I just think I had fear transmitted to me, um, not just from him, but from the family. And, you know, I just, so, um, so I think it was at an un conscious level I you know I think it's part of me you know just transmitted so um no I lost track okay so that it's part of my life yeah <laughs> no that, terms, that it's not yeah. caught, it wasn't like you were like um no worries no worries diagnosis of RA suddenly worries like you had no no worries no before. I think yeah. yeah I'm one of these people who worry you know, mm -hmm. and one of these people who think about things a lot, you know, before making a decision. And that's just my personality, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, we have to keep worrying or else because no one else is worrying. So we have to be the ones worrying, right? right? Yes. And I'm a good worrier, <laughs> you know? <I'm>, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that's just part of my personality. Mm -hmm. um, but with something like uh, 
so uncertainty and not being able to control things is a source of, you know, worry. Um, and it triggers things, you know. Um, so this rheumatoid just gives you like a, a huge opportunity to, <laughs> to obsess, you know, to yeah. um, worry. And so it was like, oh, my God, you know, here, here I have multiple opportunities and things to worry about. So mm -hmm. you just pick one and you get, go on a track with it and obsess is what, how I, and of course the hand was the thing for me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm not sure I'm answering your question. No, you are. No, no, no. I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm giving, <laughs> I tend to mm -hmm. jump in too quick. So I'm just giving, mm -hmm. <laughs> trying to give a pause, but it's not. Yeah. Like so yeah. Um, so you, you would kind of like, I, one thing that my therapist pointed out to me is that when I would get into these kind of rumination states or obsessing that mm -hmm. I was always seeking certainty, like seeking the answers or trying to make this gigantic chart, um, in my head of like an, if then, like if this, then this, if the best case scenario, then this, if worst case scenario, then this, and it's this, it's not a terrible thing. Or he would say like, it's not a bad thing in general to like have a plan a and a plan B but to, to obsessively, to do it to the degree of like so many details and so many possible conditions with this idea that this, if then, and this worrying is protecting you is, is wrong because right. like, yeah. and like I told people in the group, you know, what did you worry about on March 1st, 2020? If you listed all your worries, unless you were really watching the news, which I have actually, my husband, and I kind of were because he works in China or Traditionally, he oh. would go to China for work like mm. two to three times a year and he hasn't gone since the pandemic. But um, so he was on top of it, maybe starting in like January. But at point being, most people on March 1st, 2020 were not like on top of their worry list was not like a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. You I know? mean, there are real things to worry about, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I can just get my, and if I... I'm worrying about something. Then the impulse is, okay, I've got to go to the internet. I've got to find out all the information. And it's like, you're saying I have to plan B. I have to, plan, you know, mm -hmm. that's where I go with it. And my therapist said to me um, recently, um, anxious for anxious people, everything's like a heart attack. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you've got, oh my, it's imminent. You know, you have to mm -hmm. figure it out now before it, something bad happens, you know? Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I ask myself sometimes if I'm doing kind of more of a cognitive behavior therapy, I'm like, where's the fire? Like, this is not a, like if I'm five minutes late to drop my child off at class, small problem, small potatoes, you know, yeah. sometimes if you're really, um, if you're really, what's the word triggered, you know, if you're really having high anxiety, you can't think really very rationally in that moment. But when you're starting to escalate or starting to get in that irritability um zone then that can kind of help talk you down to be like hmm this is like what are the actual like is this going to be a problem for me in two years five years you know like yeah. arthritis, it is it is going to be a perpetual problem or issue in your life it will be to a different degree right if you're in remission then it won't be a huge problem but it'll be something you have to deal with unless there's a cure you know if right. there's a cure great yeah <laughs> then, but then just <laughs> add another just substitute right. something yeah. else yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> because that's but, the thing is I think a lot of people think, oh, if I just got rheumatoid arthritis figured out, then my life would be perfect again, but it never was perfect. Sorry. That's why I tried. Right, but I mean, and there is no, I mean, this RA is what it is, and, you know, mm-hmm. in a way it's kind of like the flip side of it is a gift for, you know, knowing that you can't solve it. You know, you can't, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I look at it. I can only do the best I can. The other thing is I think living here in this country, culturally, they just take things in stride, you know, mm-hmm. kind of just trust the process of life, you know? Mm, okay. You know? I didn't know that. That's see, I'm really yeah. wanting to move there now. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, they're not, everyone is like that, but you know, yeah. people like, um, you know, I'm like, oh my God, you know, I've got to be on time and I've got to do this and that. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, people are always late here. You know, most 90% of the time people are late, you know, and it's not the end of the world, you know? Right, 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 um, right. Yeah. You know, or um, I can't solve a problem, you know? Mm-hmm. And my husband will say, don't worry, it'll work itself out. Is he Italian? Yes, yes. Good influence then. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, but they have, um, yeah, everything will just work out. And it usually does, you know, it usually does. Well, and you kind of mentioned, you said earlier, it's a gift knowing that you can't solve it. Can you, can you explain to people who are like, who are still in the solving state of mind? Like, why is it a gift that rheumatoid arthritis or health issues are to some degree unsolvable? Well, I mean, it's helpful for me in terms of my struggle with anxiety Mm -hmm. because it's kind of like, okay, the only thing for sure about this is that it's uncertain, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, there are certain things, certain treatments and all that kind of stuff, but it's like, I'm never going to know what's around the corner with it. You know, I'm never going to know- Like in the morning, am I going to wake up and my knees are going to hurt or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, okay, you know, this will, uh, um, it helps me to just go with the flow. Yeah. I I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, it's um, not, it's a struggle sometimes for sure, mm -hmm, you know, but, mm -hmm. um, Yeah. I think the way I sometimes try to like quantify it is let's say I have like a hundred energy units. Right. Mm. And if I'm spending 80 of those trying to solve an unsolvable problem that I could be maybe saying, or a problem that's ultimately unsolvable, maybe partially solvable in the moment. And when I say solvable, I just mean like, let's say I'm in pain. Okay. Maybe Mm -hmm. I could put a cold pack on, maybe I could up my medicine that day, but there's some degree to which that pain may be unsolvable. It may persist to a certain degree. So what if I took those 80 and I only put 20 towards solving the problem and then I have 60 more units of energy to put towards what's in the now, what's my actual life? Because I think anxiety makes you want to live in this future that you're trying to control with this illusion that if I just think of everything and I research everything, 
then I'll be able to live. I'll, I'm not going to live in the moment now. I'm going to live in the moment in the future after I figure out all these problems. Right. And then it's gone, you know, <laughs> yeah. then your whole life is spent waiting for this future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or even sometimes anxiety just can paralyze me from taking action. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You yeah, know? that's true too. Yeah. It's like that, you know, it's, a, it's the, the opposite, the other side of the spinning, you know, trying to figure out mm-hmm. the other side is I'm just like, uh Oh, you know, now what do I do? <laughs> and I yeah. just, uh, I can't act, you know? Mm-hmm. What well, speaking of act, that is the acronym of acceptance uh, yes, and commitment yeah, that, therapy. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, no. Yeah. I often say the word acceptance gets a bad reputation, you know, in, in pain management, understandably, most people, the last thing they want to do is think about accepting pain, accepting fatigue, accepting uncertainty, but what, what does acceptance mean to you? Or has, you know, I mean, we've obviously kind of already talked about it, but not with necessarily the word acceptance as, as much. Hmm. Well, maybe I can just give you this sort of example. Yeah. Um, when I, as I said, when I first got the diagnosis, and I thought about how I worked so hard um, with my not having a hand, and so and so I saw myself as that little girl, the little girl. And I called myself the little girl with the hook, you know, because Mm -hmm. at that time the prosthesis I had was a hook. Mm -hmm. And so I would, um, talk to her. And so the way I reached the acceptance was many crying conversations, you know, and I just, said to her there are three of us now Mm. and the other one is the rheumatoid is part of our lives now and so um that's it yeah I don't know if that answers your question it Um, it does like because you're not fighting it you're allowing yes and that word allowing is also one that my therapist taught me with and I learned more about in acceptance and commitment therapy but it's like this is here. What if I, again, what if I don't fight it? What if it's, I allow it to be here and then I proceed to live my life with it rather than fighting it. I think yes. And then to realize that I did have the strength. I do have the strength, you know, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. um, cause she's there with me and, you know, we did it already. And so, um, yeah, and that, that's why I do think having some past experience with either a medical issue or a, you know, developmental difference or limb difference. Like you have, you have some built up self-efficacy in the area of like, I can cope with something that a lot of people would think on the surface. I could never deal with. I could never, how, how could I ever deal with that? What you have to, you know, cope with and, and adapt to, you already have kind of some built up um, self-efficacy, but at the same time, there is, there is something different about a systemic condition that so fluctuates. It's not like you wake up, it'd be like, you wake up one day, you have one finger 
on your left hand. The other day you have three fingers. The other day you have five and then you have zero. Yeah. And then you're like, you do different things to try to make it better. You do the diet, you do the medicine, but it still seems to sometimes randomly, you know? <laughs> yeah. You can't master it, you know, like yeah. totally. Um, yeah. So that's the weirdest analogy. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I get it, you know, because I could master the hook, you know, I could do that, yeah. you know? Right. Um, yeah. Or like, this, this is, is the different. technique. This is how I wash my hair. This is how I write. This is how yeah. I, you know, cook my food. And I don't need to think of a new strategy each day, but it with a, oh, I really like this phrase, dynamic disability. People started using recently, or maybe oh, that's I recently interesting. discovered it. Yeah. Dynamic disability. I, I wish I don't, I'll give credit if I can find it um, to whomever coined that. Um, but yeah, the hmm. idea of it's this thing of, you know, you might need in the USA, we have these, you know, handy, they used to be called handicapped cards or disability parking cards that allow you you put mm. them on your car and then you can park in the accessible, sorry, now accessible yeah. parking spot. And, um, you know, there, it used to be like this hard line, like you either need it all the time or you don't ever need it. And now there's a recognition that like people have dynamic disabilities. They might need to have the card as a tool for maybe yeah. the the five to 10 days on a month, they're having a really high pain or fatigue day and they can't get easily from the parking spot to the store, but the other days they don't need it, you know, and our society doesn't really have a good paradigm for those gray area. Yeah. It's black and white. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, this is, I love talking about this. Um, is there any other coping tools? I know you did mention that therapy that you have a therapist, which I'm always trying to, you know, encourage people if you can get Therapy, oh, coping tools helpful. for the anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Well, I mean, that whole ACT therapy mm-hmm. concept is, was really helpful. And the thing I love the most from that is, you know, when things start going, I just say, well, that's not a useful thought, is it? You know, it's mm-hmm. not useful. This is not a useful thought. That kind of stops me in my tracks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. Cause I like to be pragmatic, you know, Yeah, <laughs> like that's great. Used, I, and so that really, Oh, you know, this isn't useful. Why am I wasting my time on it? You know, mm-hmm. that I like that. Um, I'm finding that exercise can help, you know, like changing the location of what I, where I am and maybe start doing something physical. Mm. Um, and then I, um, have these, I don't want to say homeopathic, but these drops that I take that they're based on this plant. It's mm. not a, it's not a, uh, farm, uh, what's the word? It's not a is drug. It essential. Is it essential oil? No, it's oh, not an oh, oil. It comes okay. from a plant. Um, oh, cool. And the plant in Italian, the name of the plant is Tilium. Um, I can look it up later and tell you the translation, but it comes from a plant and it's to help calm you, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so if I'm really out there, I take that, you know, so, um, and you just put the drops in water and, you know, that's great. Yeah. What about, oh, sorry. Keep keep going. I was just going to say, and I like it because it's not something natural, um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I prefer, you know? But. Right. Yeah, definitely. Rheumatoid arthritis is, um, poses a challenge to a lot of uh, a mental challenge to a lot of people who are really committed to an all natural 
you know, yeah. stance. I, I really empathize with that. Um, but again, you, this is a great example. It doesn't have to be either, or you're doing no. natural things alongside exactly the medicine. Why not? Because I don't think all natural worked for me. I tried that. No. You know, and it's, just... that's the norm. The norm for the majority of people with rheumatoid arthritis is that they're going to need some Western medication and there's you know nothing wrong with that. And it was so opinion. disappointing, you know, cause I really believed that it would work, you know, and it was very disappointing. Yeah. yeah. Um, You're definitely but... not alone in that. Yeah. Um, and then I know that one of your, um, I don't know if you want to call it like a hobby or something that you really, really love is writing. Do you, mm-hmm. do you, do write, does writing ever help you? Like I like journaling sometimes yeah. about my feelings that can help a lot with anxiety. I'm always journaling. I've journaled okay. my whole life, you know, oh, I love good. writing. <laughs> so, um, yes, writing definitely helps. Um, it's, it can be calming, you know, it can also be a place to get out, you know, stronger emotions. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I've tried to do some writing about um, the rheumatoid and how it's affected me, my body. Mm-hmm. And um, allows me to kind of grieve the parts of me that I've lost, you know, mm-hmm. the um, not really parts of me, but things in my life and, you know, they, grieve yeah. the loss because you know it, it, I feel like I'm I mean I'm the same person but I'm different you know I've got to think about different mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. every day to uh, so it helps me with that that's that's great um do let's see sorry I'm getting back on my on my schedule here my schedule okay, of, so. of questions oh, no 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 gosh. I just want to make sure okay. No, we're perfect on time. Um, but I do have some rapid fire questions um, okay. that I just started this quote unquote rapid fire section, but like each question could take a long time too. But is there okay. kind of a, a best advice you like to give newly diagnosed patients or just word, a word of wisdom or encouragement for somebody who might be in that state that you were at where you just got diagnosed and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to, you know, Ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For lack of a better word. <laughs> um, well, the first thing I would do is to encourage talking to other people who have it and to get information. And I would recommend your course. Oh, thank you. Um, I absolutely would. I mean, I, I, it was a lifeline for me. Thank you um, so much. And I would just want them to know that I was there if they needed somebody to talk to and to um, trust the process. Mm. I'm going to try to be more, more trusting. I definitely, I think I've learned I'm not a very naturally trusting person um, or in terms of like trusting things will work out. So I, I think that's really yeah. important. Yeah. I think so. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, I mean, cause it, it, it feels very dark, you know, when you first get it, it's like, mm-hmm, Oh my God, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I don't know if I, I don't know if I could have heard that when I first got diagnosed. Yeah. But it doesn't hurt to say it just in case it kind of lodges yeah. itself somewhere in the back of the person's mind. Yeah. And, and then do you have a favorite arthritis, like gadget or tool in your rheumatoid arthritis toolbox? 
Yes. Um, and it's the compression glove. I love uh, the compression. I just love it. In fact, I need to get a new one and I'm trying to decide which one to get. There's so um, many. I'm a collector. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm thinking I might, would like to get that one from the lady in England. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's her name? Um, Grace and Abel, Sarah. Yes, this one. is the I'm second time she's come up this week. Yeah. I'm thinking uh, that one might be, or the next time I go home, I'm going to do like an Amazon run yes. and get, <laughs> get oh, them yeah. at home. And yeah. Yeah. Good. That's great. Yeah. Sarah has some great things um, going on with Grace and Abel beyond even the compression gloves. So okay. I, I live nearby, so I was able to see some of the stuff behind the scenes, but yeah, no, so she's in America, not in England. Yeah. She's from England, but, um, oh, but okay. I thought now. she lived in England. Yeah. So uh, if I order them, then they're coming from the United States. Yeah. Yeah. As far mm. as I know, they might, she might have okay. an office in England. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. Actually, okay. I'd ask her. Um, and okay. then do you have a favorite, like, this is a huge question, but a book or a movie or a TV show you've been into lately? Lately. Okay. Yeah. Or, or, or actually, yeah. What do you have a favorite book or movie or TV show also? Oh gosh, that's hard. Or- <laughs> um, I think right now lately, well, I always love um, historical fiction and mm. historical dramas. And so recently on Netflix, I just watched unfortunately it's only the first season so um it's called the empress and it's about this um empress in austria and but i and her name is sissy but the reason i like her story is because she comes to live in italy and in this castle that's not it's like an hour or so from our house and so i've been to the castle and so it's just kind of yeah I love that kind of stuff you know when you can connect to place and time from a film you know from history yeah oh my gosh yeah I love it and then do you have a favorite mantra or inspirational saying yes and it's in Italian Uh, (laughs) but I can tell you the translate the and it's pretty much along the theme of what I've been saying. The, the mantra is si, si combina tutto, which means that everything works out. There's a solution mm-hmm. for everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. Sounds and my nice. husband is always telling me that, you know, when I get into these worry things. Si combina tutto. No. Oh, that's so sweet. And mm. then um, other than the Empress, what is something in general that's bringing you joy right now? <laughs> Bring me joy. Well, the fall weather. I mean, mm. we had such a horrible summer of heat and humidity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of my essays got published. So, um, oh, yeah. is it like publicly? So, like, is it something people could look up if we wanted to? Uh, it's unfortunately oh, yeah. I have three things published and two, oh. two of them are online, but this one, this recent one was in a print journal, oh, okay. uh, a literary journal. So you, you'd have to buy the journal. Oh, um, okay. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, no, I can put a so, link to it. Um, I'm putting a little note to myself to get links in case. Okay. Yeah. Read. I could yeah. give you the other stuff, but that that's very exciting. And so, oh, that's um, and so my, my book is finished and I'm trying to now work on 
finding agents and things. That's so exciting. Yes, it's exciting. Um, yeah, it's exciting, but it's a lot of work to, yeah. <laughs> to get these agents. So most exciting things, unfortunately, are a lot of work, aren't they? Mm, um, yeah. And then last one, again, this could be a whole episode, but um, mm. what, what does it mean to you to live a good life or thrive with rheumatoid arthritis? Mm. What does it mean to me to live? Um, I think for me, it's to accept the new me. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I resonate with that. I resonate with that completely. And I think it's the opposite of what a lot of people think is, oh, I, there's this narrative in, you know, in the U.S. with a lot of like health conditions. You just need to conquer it. You need to beat it. You need to conquer it. It's you against so. it. Yeah. And I think that so much, it takes so much energy to fight and conquer, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You can, in my opinion, if you just relax into it, I mean, it's hard. It's not easy, you know? Um, but it's, I think it's more realistic, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it it's definitely something that was, has been a paradox to me. Cause I, mm-hmm. it seems yeah. like, again, it's very hard to disentangle the idea of acceptance from the idea of giving up. I don't want to quit. I'm not a quitter. I'm stuck. Yeah, I'm not a quitter either. Yeah. But it's you know? not, yeah. It's not quitting to look in the face, the reality of life. And that's what's, if you do delve in, if anyone listening delves into acceptance and commitment therapy, the, the deeper roots of it are actually in like philosophy of like mm-hmm. the philosophy of like, what yeah. is knowable what is knowable the only not the future is never actually knowable we can make a good prediction but it's unknowable so the present and and being able to look the present in the face and say this is you know for with lack of further data this is what it is (laughs) yeah and also to to realize it's not easy you know to be to accept it's not just like um okay i've accepted it and but every day it's an everyday thing, you know, it's not, um, yeah, that's so true. It's an everyday battle. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I use that battle analogy though. No, I shouldn't use that. I try not to oh. use battle. Yeah. Whatever works. That's, that's the other thing I like about act is that no, it's all about no, what's that's workable. okay. Yeah. 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 No, it's true. It seems like acceptance would be giving up and it'd be the easy way out, but it's actually a much harder because I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's our opinion. If, you, if something else yeah, works that's for you, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cause act is. is all about what's workable, right? If, if it, well, it's whatever works, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, whatever works. Um, is there anything else you wanted to share with the audience before we wrap up? <laughs> hmm. I like all the sunshines behind you. I keep meaning to say that. Oh, if you're watching the, a, um, yeah. <laughs> you have to watch have, the YouTube video. If you're, if you're just listening, I have put these interviews on YouTube too. So yeah. Is that a collection? It's like everywhere I go, I get a sun. Um, and sometimes people, wow. people know I do this. And so they give me a gift to like, my mother has given me sons from different places. And, oh, that's amazing. So. They're beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. One thing, and I don't know if this is off track. No, everything's um, on track in my okay. world. <laughs> um, one of the things that kicked in for me um, when I was going to see the doctors 
was, um, it brought me back to when I was a little girl and getting fitted for my prosthesis and all that kind of stuff. And my interaction with doctors, I had to be the perfect patient. And I had to be, I could do everything that they wanted. And I, you know, I was happy and all this kind of stuff. And so when I, I found myself falling into that trap with these rheumatologists, because I had to prove to them, you know, that, oh, it doesn't matter. I can tie my shoes, even though my fingers are killing me. And, you know, um, and I don't know where that fits into our conversation, but I, I don't know if there's people have behaviors that they have in front of the, the medical figure, you know? The, yeah, no, that resonates a hundred percent. And in fact, like I would just say that it doesn't work on your favor to minimize what you're experiencing to your doctor. Right. You, and I, my doctor had to actually call me out on that. She was like, I need you to tell me straight. Like, because she's like, I have to know really, if you are having pain and inflammation right now, not just, oh, it's fine. It's fine because we need to make the best. And she actually had to explain to me that, cause I thought, well, it's, it's, I can cope with this amount of pain, but she's like, but the fact that you're in pain means that the inflammation is not under control and that could be causing systemic damage. And so we need to like put this fire out more aggressively, like, and I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that. Right. I just thought I was trying to be a good, I mean, exactly a, a good patient, a good girl, you know, follow yeah. the rules. Don't make a stink, you know? Um, yeah. so I'm sure other people will relate to that. And, um, like I have this little pain going on in this finger and that I've had it for quite a while. And I'm like, well, does that count? You know, do I, am I supposed to bring that up or, you know, mm -hmm, I'm just, mm -hmm. maybe I just need to live with this because I'm so happy that everything else is working. And so I, um, yeah, it's always, I think when in doubt, at least communicate to your medical team is kind of mm. the rule of thumb that I do, because it's like, sometimes there's been things I didn't even realize were potentially a big deal or things I thought were a big deal that actually weren't, you know? Mm, so yeah. when in doubt, um, yeah, when in doubt, share it, share it with the, with the team and they can tell you whether it's a big deal or not. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I would say, yeah. That's um, good advice. Yeah. Yeah. It's not medical advice though. <laughs> I'm just kidding, sorry. I sorry, like, sorry. No, 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 no. I'm joking. Cause like, the word advice is very loaded. I was, cause I was covering that in my talk. Um, Oh, on social okay. media, you have to be as a licensed health provider, you know, and you have to be mm -hmm. really careful. Yeah, you right? have to be and very careful. It's funny, yeah. actually, because the paradigm of like counselors and counseling, there are a lot of great counselors and psychologists online that are providing really meaningful and valuable content. And no one is like confused. Like if I watch an influential, you know, um, Instagram or, you know, real or video from somebody who's a therapist, I'm not confused that like, they're my therapist. They're not, I know, but it's funny because when it comes to other health providers, giving advice on, or giving tips or pointers or education online, there is this huge concern with like, is this coming across as like personal medical advice? Anyway, sorry. That's just another. Yeah. That may, um, I think you have to be careful. Yeah. I do yeah. think because you don't, you don't really know how the other, how people are receiving it. Mm, you know? mm -hmm. That's true. That's really true. Yeah. It's kind of scary. I think the good outweighs the bad for me being like a, you know, 
person sharing a lot online, but yes, certainly I want to consider all possible negative connotations. I would never want someone to be like, well, well Cheryl said this. So yeah, no, I mean, that's know. why people do the disclaimers, right? Yes. Just, yes. And yeah. by the way, this episode, like all the episodes does have a medical disclaimer, but, yeah. um, oh, speaking of online world, um, I'm going to put a link to your Instagram in the show notes, but, um, if you just want to say it out loud in case anyone's like on oh, Instagram, as we speak, where, where can they find you? Oh my God. I, um, on Instagram, but I don't know what my handle is. Oh, let me, let me look it up. Cause I know I'm following you. <laughs> so um, D I C. Okay. It. So it's D I. And then my surname, which is Kanitzo. Mm-hmm. Okay. C-A-N-N-I-Z-Z-O. Yep. That's your, you, that's you on Instagram. So if people want to okay. follow you, follow up. Um, or just say thank you for this episode. Sure. I'm, yeah. I'm grateful again, and, you know, sharing your story, even if you're excited about it, like I usually am excited. It's also emotional to share your story mm-hmm. and share yeah. your, you know, um, what you've, what you've been through um, emotionally and physically. So, so thank you. Thank you for sharing today. Thank you. I really um, feel privileged to be able to be part of the arthritis world, your podcast. No, thank you. No, I, it's the pleasure. The pleasure is all mine. The okay. is, yeah, no. <laughs> thank you. Thank and have you. a good rest of your day. Bye-bye for now. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the arthritis life podcast. This episode is brought to you by room to thrive an educational program. I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.